This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Our scripture this evening comes from James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. The book of James is an immensely practical book. Uh, This small little book has been a huge gift for the church. And uh, for us, it's been, uh, I think, a wake-up call in many ways, because what faith is, is faith lies at the heart level. So it's different than like a skill. For example, if you're a runner, you can measure how you've improved in your running by measuring your time. Are you faster? Are you able to build um, more endurance? Or maybe in the workplace, you're able to measure, are you improving uh, in that skill at work? But faith lies at the heart level, not at the mental level even. So even with uh, mental aspects of learning, right? you can test, you can memorize aspects of a subject and, and test and be tested. And so with faith, what you will learn is that um, no matter how much you memorize a scripture, that's not a measure of your faith. And so how do we test our faith? How can we actually look inside our hearts and recognize what is in there? And what uh, James does is help us realize you can measure your faith by how you live. And if you haven't heard, uh, Christians have been called uh, practical atheists. We theologically, theoretically, we believe, but there's a disconnect between what we believe and, and how we live. And so what we want is a practical Christianity, and that's what James does. He connects the dots so that you can understand, if you believe this, he's connecting the dots so that you learn, oh, this is how you should live. This past week, I saw a video on uh, TEDx, and he started the talk like this. Today... I will speak about patience. I'll speak about patience. And what does that do? Even knowing what I'm going to say, you start to get a little frustrated, don't you? Even though you know I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally slowing things down, in your heart, you want me to speed up. We're talking about patience. Something that we all understand is important in, 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 in life. But what you will find, uh, I think, today, is patience is potentially more important 
than you may have ever realized. Uh, that if you have had the mentality, yeah, I should be patient, but what's the big deal if I lose it every once in a while? This is what James is talking about, that we all need to understand the importance of patience and that we need patience. And so you at home, you need patience. I love how uh, James uh, you know, first he addresses the rich, those who are oppressive. So in the two passages before, he's talking about the wealthy and how, how they live matters, what they do with their money, it matters. So he addresses them about how they should live, their arrogance, their entitlement, and how that it's even wrong. And so now he's talking to those who are oppressed, those who struggled a little bit in life those who've been frustrated. And with this, he talks about it in a way where he doesn't downplay their situation. And that's important. I'm not sure if you've ever been in that situation where you've been in a season of frustration, great disappointment, and someone just blows it off, saying it's not a big deal. That's not what James does, nor does he say fight back retaliate, retaliate, right? Claim your own. He doesn't do that either. He does something very interesting. He says, in all the injustice, don't simply push down those desires. Don't simply fight back. But what does he say in verse 7? Read it with me. Be patient. Isn't that interesting? James understands that these, these people have experienced oppression, experienced wrongdoing. He doesn't simply disregard them and say, figure out how to live or just let it go. He doesn't say, retaliate, claim your own. God's a God of justice. He says what? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Four times, verse 7, be patient. A little bit, a little bit later, being patient about it, like the farmer. Verse 8, you also be patient. Right? Verse 10, as, a, as, a, as an example of suffering and patience. It's very clear what James is saying. In difficult circumstances, the fundamental attitude must be patience. When you're going through a hard time, James's challenge and exhortation to you is, brother, sister, be patient. I mean, could you imagine you share all of this to a friend, and what they say is, be patient. How would you respond? But he doesn't just end there. He links this idea of patience with this other idea of being steadfast, right? In verse 11, 
Behold, we consider those blessed who remained, what? Steadfast. You heard, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. It's this idea that patience is linked to your ability spiritually to endure. In a season of hardship, patience is the key, the foundation for you to be able to endure. How long do you have to be patient? Verse 8, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Verse 9, so they uh, do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. Patience is necessary to be able to finish the Christian race. Patience is necessary to be able to finish the Christian race. Do you see that? If you cannot be patient, you cannot finish the race. And you may be thinking, isn't that kind of a stretch? Because I've lost my patience. A lot of us, we've lost our patience. Isn't that a bit of, isn't that an exaggeration? And, if, and you see the patience that he's talking about is not the kind of patience that you need when you're driving, right? When someone cuts you off and you blow up, you get frustrated. It's not the patience he's talking about. When you're teaching and those students don't listen and you get frustrated, that's not the kind of patience he's talking about. Do you need patience in those moments? Yes, and that's another sermon. What he's talking about is when life doesn't go your way. Not the little things. Yes, the little things and all the little things throughout the day can add up to a big thing. But what he's talking about is when life starts to fall apart and it bothers you in your heart. It's not simply you need to breathe, you know, one, two, three, three, two, one. It's not simply that. It's these hopes that's been dashed, these desires that's been crushed. That's what he's talking about. See, you see, we need patience because of life's difficulties. And he gives us two uh, pictures of, of ways in which we'll need spiritual patience, right? One is life's difficulties. See, in, in, the example that he gives in, in the latter half of, of verse 11 is, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. If you know the story of Job, what do you know? That life fell apart. First, his possessions, his servants. Then he loses his children. He loses everything dear to him. And then when you think the pain is all over, what does it say? In one portion of Job in the beginning, it says that there were loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I mean, he loses all his possessions, he loses his children, and then from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, he's covered in loathsome, loathsome sores. And it's in that moment when you are so deeply frustrated, you're questioning God, James is saying it's in that moment you need patience. Because for many of us, we'd be wondering, how do we not curse God? How do we not forsake God? This God that's supposed to be good, how do you not forsake Him, turn your back to Him? 
And the key is patience. That you will go through moments in life when everything falls apart. And if you haven't experienced that, it just means you haven't lived life long enough. But as you live life long enough, the very things that you love, sometimes you lose. The very, the very things that you, you love, that, that, that give you that joy, is taken away. There's a moment when it's threatened, and you recognize that you need patience. But not just that, he gives then another example in verse 10 about the prophets, right? As, as, an, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know, it's one thing to lose your, your, your life's you know, greatest treasures, right? But what if the very things that you do for the Lord are the very things that cause you the pain? You see, it's one thing for Job to lose children, but he doesn't, he doesn't know why it happens. And so, like much of life, and when we lose these things, we don't know what the cause is. But the other example is of the prophets, those whom God has called. It's that brother that shows us that when life gets hard, because you follow Jesus, in those moments when you lose, when you lose something, you lose a little bit of your reputation because you follow Jesus. Maybe you get passed up for a promotion in the workplace because of your faith. And when, when you start to realize that there are consequences, maybe earthly negative consequences to your faith, again, you start to wonder, is this worth it? And what James would have you know is that you need Patience. You need patience. How do we know we have patience? How do you know if you have this spiritual grit, this patience? How do you know it? In verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another. It seems like it's out of nowhere. It talks about patience and out of nowhere. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another. Where is this coming from? You see, this word grumbling is not complaining. Complaining is a result of it. This grumbling, the definition of it is a quiet, this, this murmur. It's, it's been used to pray inaudibly. So you can pray out loud, but you can kind of pray quietly. It's like a whisper, this, this, this mumbling. It's this idea of, of, of groaning, this, this grudge, this sigh. And so when he says, do not grumble against one another, yes, it can turn into complaining out loud. It can, it can, it can turn into um, commenting on uh, one another, turning into envy. But what he's getting at is something a little bit more fundamental. What he's getting at is this heart that as you experience the, the, uh, when, you, when you experience you know, life's difficulties, right? When you experience spiritual, spiritual difficulties, in that moment, your heart is going to be like one where you know, you're in the desert and the water parches, uh, where the, the, desert, the, the, the desert heat takes away all the water and, and that soul is parched. That's what difficulties do. Difficulties, what it does is it takes away love. It takes away peace. It takes away hope. And so what's left is this bitterness, this jaded 
heart. And so if you find yourself complaining, it's because of this groaning heart. It's, it's, it's because of this heart that grumbles. And so you may have thought you have a, you have a frustration problem. You may have, you have an anger problem. And what James will be then saying is, no, no, no. You have a, a problem that's of the heart. And that's why when you try to take those moments to breathe and to relax your body, but you're still so easily irritable, what James is saying is what you're lacking, what you need is patience, that we all need patience. You see, a complaining attitude is a result of an impatient heart. A complaining attitude is a result of an impatient heart, a heart that's grumbling. What an angry attitude, a bitter heart. It's all a result of this idea of an impatient heart. You want relief now. And so the question then is, where do we get that relief? How do we find patience when our hopes are dashed, our, our desires are crushed? He's going to get into three components of patience. Three components of patience. And it's so different. I want you to notice how different this is than what you will find on Google. I googled it. How do you get patience? I found this quote, patience is choosing to control your emotions rather than letting your emotions control you. It sounds so good, right? Patience is learning to control your emotions as opposed to letting your emotions control you. Sounds great. Does it work? No. James's approach is radically, radically different. And the first component of patience that he talks about is what I'll call a wise patience. A wise patience. What do I mean? And verse 7 says, be patient, therefore brothers. And then he gives you this insight, this one sentence insight. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. You hear that initially and you think that is impossible. I can't be patient till tomorrow until my coupon delivery comes, right? And he says, no, be patient until Jesus comes back, till the end of time. How in the world do you do that? And then he gives us an insight. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You see, the farmer is able to be patient. How? Because he knows how the seasons work. That when you harvest, when you reap, that the, that, um, that the weather works in a way that you know when it's going to rain. But it's not just from your experience, not just from the years past. This is actually a biblical reference mentioned several times in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Hosea. But I'm going to reference Joel. Joel 2.23. And, and, and notice Notice how faithful God is and how God is like this, uh, this, this rain that is certain to come. It says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down uh, for you abundant rain. The early and the latter rain as before. The same words, right? The same words. 
that we find in James. And then, what does this rain do? The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And then this verse verse that's so well-known, so popular, this is what James is talking about. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. I mean, this is a verse that I've seen quoted with the greatest tragedies, modern-day trafficking. The years in which the, 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 the locusts have taken away, the Lord will restore. It's that idea. No matter how deep that valley is, the Lord will fill it and it will one day overflow. That's what he's talking about. Why is it wise patience? Because patience is a form of wisdom. Patience is a form of wisdom. You are able to be patient not simply by the character of your heart. You're able to be patient because what you know in your mind, like the farmer that knows that rain will come, you're able to wait because you know it's going to come. It's that certainty, is it not? That's what he's referring to. It's this idea that you are able to be patient. It's birthed out of this desire that you want ultimate justice. And this justice will be be brought by a compassionate and merciful God. That's what we see here. But not only do we see that here, we see that it's it's a wise form of wisdom because of the confidence of the farmer because he is certain that it's going to rain. And for many of us, we've experienced that. We know something is going to come, and so therefore we find relief. I've shared this story before uh, of this pastor. This pastor, he sees uh, this test on YouTube, and some of you, you've seen uh, that test. Uh, they these kids who are uh, being tested about their resilience. And so with these kids, are in this lab, and they put marshmallows before them. And, they, and the idea is if you can wait for, you know, five minutes and not eat that marshmallow in five minutes, then the, you know, the researcher will come back and give you two marshmallows. And so the whole test is, are you able to resist? Are you, are you able to not give in? And so this pastor who sees it does the same exact kind of test with his children. After dinner uh, with his two older kids, you know, gives them this proposition. If you want uh, to be able to have dessert, you have two options. One, I'll give you a cookie now. Or, if you wait an hour, I'll heat up this cookie. I'll get some ice cream, get some sprinkles. Do you want this cookie now? Or do you want to wait an hour and get this cookie that's been heated with ice cream and sprinkles and fudge and all the works? And so the two older kids, they think, well, it seems like a great deal. Just wait an hour and I get even better dessert. Uh, they decide to wait. Uh, in that time, the, older, uh, the pastor um, takes his two younger kids and tells them to eat the cookie in front of them. He sends the two kids into the kitchen, two younger kids, and the two younger kids start eating away at the cookie 
while the older siblings are, you know, thinking about something else, you know, wanting to hurt them. But time passes, and, you know, the hour passes, and finally they're able to pass it. And so the dad then asks, hey, guys, what was it? How were you able to resist the temptation? And their words were simple. They said, Dad, we trusted you. Dad, we trusted you. For them, it wasn't about this resilience. It was about the fact that they trusted their dad. You see, that's what wise patience is. You know that God will work it out. You know that he will come, that it is near. And so that's the first aspect. It gives us, he gives us a theology for the mind. Right? First, he gives us a theology for the mind, but then what he's going to now do is give us now a, a truth for the heart. We first need wise patience, then we need resolute patience or resolved patience. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. Do you see that? Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, a judge is standing at the door. That word established means firmly placed. That you've placed your heart with the expectation and hope that Jesus will come back. That God of justice will come back. And the word is it, that, that uh, the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's going to be soon, not necessarily in time that's going to be the next day, but at the right time, that he is at hand, that he is at the door, that he's not far away from the door, from the door but he's at the door. That's the next event that's going to happen spiritually. Jesus came, he resurrected, and the next thing, of, the next event of redemptive uh, history is now that he comes back. And what you recognize as before with a wise patient, he gives us a theology for the mind. Now he gives you a truth, an attitude for the heart. Establish your heart. And you recognize that in those moments when you want to wait, you trust that God is coming, then James tells you, you, you need that theology, but also you need that commitment. You need that attitude. It's like the idea of exercise. Many of you, you've tried. You've tried different um, exercise, you know, routines, schedules. And what's one of the first things you recognize? If you're not committed to it, you're not going to do it. Because that commitment, that attitude, is a part of what you need to be, to be able to exercise. It's that commitment. It's like love. Let's say you find that perfect somebody. He or she is everything that you've hoped for in your non-negotiables list. And so you find this person. You fall in love. You decide to get married. Your wedding day comes up. And you, you are with all your loved ones. You're about to say your vows. And from this perfect person, in their vow, 
What they should say is a promise and covenant, you know, to be your wedded, you know, husband or wife. And then the idea is in plenty or in want, in, in, you know, in, in, in good times and bad times, when we have health and when we don't. And he's supposed to say, I promise and covenant. But what if this perfect person says, you know, I can't promise and covenant, but I'll try. I'll try to be there when it gets hard. I'll really do my best. What would you do, this perfect person that you found? Well, all of a sudden, this perfect person ain't perfect anymore, right? Why is that? Because you understand the nature of love. The nature of love is commitment. But you don't want someone to say, honey, love you with all of my heart. And when life gets hard, I'll try to be there. You don't want that. You want, honey, when life gets hard, I'll be there. When you get sick, I'll be there. You don't want, when you get sick, I'll, I'll try. I'll try really hard to be there. Why? Because that attitude, that resolve is a part of how you love. And James is giving us insight into faith. Faith is not simply, a, I'll try. Faith is establishing your heart so that the greatest hope that you have today is not so that that injustice is resolved tonight. It's that the Lord is just that he is coming, that he, his coming is at hand. The way in which you have patience is that resolve in your heart. That it's the, it's the theology for the mind, so you have wise patience. It's the, it's the attitude of the heart, so that you have resolute patience. And then he gives us something for the hands. It's the active patience. You don't just let it go. You don't simply push down your desires. He now then tells you, when it gets hard, you need a theology for your mind that God is at hand. You need an attitude of the heart. You have to be committed to that truth. That's the greatest hope that you have. And then he gives you something that you don't just sit there passively, you know, um, just waiting for the time to pass by. But you have this idea. You have this attitude. You have this that now practice. Right? In verse 11, right, you remain steadfast. And then you've heard the steadfastness of Job. And if you know the book of Job, it's the first few chapters that sets it all up. He loses everything. And then what happens for the remainder of the book? He continues to be questioned by his friends, but he continues to respond back, defending himself. And then what does he do? He goes to the Lord over and over and over. He continues to go to God. He doesn't simply lay back and say, well, this is the Lord's will. I just, I must accept it. No. And that's the beauty about Christianity. That God understands the injustice that you experience. Right? God understands that the injustices that you experience are wrong. He understands the hope that you have is right. So in this season, when you're in this pain, what God wants is for you to go to him. It's fascinating that Job is considered steadfast, is it not? Because he does falter. He questions God. 
But James says this is a good thing because faith is not perfect. Your Christian life, it won't be perfect. You'll go through moments where you'll question and you know your heart's not right. And what James is saying is with that heart that's not right, go to God. Go to God again and again. Go to God with all your questions, with all your doubts. Go to God over and over and over again. In the book of Habakkuk, I call this faithful doubt. You have doubts, you have questions, but you continue to go to God. The mark of faith is not doubt. The mark of faith is going to God with your doubts, with your questions. And that's what James is saying. James is saying, in those moments, go to God. That is how you remain steadfast. When life doesn't go your way, you don't simply keel over and say, well, that's the Lord's plan. Because the wrong that you experience is wrong. The hope that you have is right. The time that you experience it is suffering. And God is saying, in that time, when you can't handle the heat, come to me with everything. And so throughout Scripture, what do you see? You see men and women, right? With cries, weeping, groaning, this murmuring, going to God. If you don't grumble before the Lord, you'll grumble before others. And that's the beauty of Scripture. That's the beauty of God, that He is even more patient than you are. That's the component of faith. He gives you wisdom for the mind, wise patience. He gives you an attitude for the heart, that you have resolute patience. And then he gives you something for the hands, active patience. You go to God regularly. You wrestle with him. And what do we see at the end of it all? A reward of patience. Because he says in verse 11, the purpose of the Lord. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. In light of Job's story, what happens at the end of it all? At the end of it all, what you see is Job restored, having kids again, having his possessions again. What it's saying is that God knows that the wrong that you experience now is wrong, that the hope that you have right now is good and right, and in this season to be patient, and when the end of that time comes, that God will reward you. It may be in this lifetime. It may be in the next. But that is the promise, right? The years that the locusts have taken away, the Lord will restore. Your vats will be full. That's a picture. It's a promise that the wrongs that you have experienced are wrong. The hope that you have is a good thing. Keep it. Keep that hope. And in that season, how do you keep that hope? How do you be patient? How do you not give up on God? Go to Him regularly with all that pent-up anger, frustration. Go to Him. It's this active patience that He shows. He refers to Job. He refers to the prophets. And I'm not sure how you've uh, thought about these these men before. For me, when, you know, Job says, you know, naked I come, naked I'll go, blessed be the name of the Lord. To me, it sounds great. In moments of suffering, it's, it's a far prayer that I don't want to pray. 
But he uses these people not because they're extraordinary men with extraordinary faith. He uses these people because they're ordinary people. You see, Job, he is not this example of perfect faith. At the end of it all, God actually rebukes him, humbles him. But what does, a God, what does God do? He accepts Job's imperfect faith because God is patient. Because God is patient, he works with our broken, impatient faith and then works it out. And so it's in that working out of our faith, we have moments where our faith is pured, or purified. Our faith is sanctified. Moments of extraordinary faith. The prophets are the same, are they not? So often they're grumbling, so often they're complaining, so often they don't want to be there. But what happens? It's because God is patient with them. He welcomes their imperfect faith, their imperfect obedience, in that they're transformed, sanctified. And then what happens? God and His goodness is known, and they're acting upon that faith, and then they have moments of extraordinary faith. That's why you need patience. If you, in that moment when the, when the heat's too hot and you can't handle it, and you continue to turn away from Him, you are not allowing your heart to experience God, to know His grace, to know His patience. Don't you understand? It's in that moment your heart starts to taste His sweetness. It's in the fire you are sanctified. And that's what he is talking about. That reward, that the purpose of God is not lost in your suffering. C.S. Lewis says it like this about God's patience. He loves the people in spite of their faults. He goes on loving. He does not let go. Don't say it's all very well for him. He hasn't got to live with them. He has. He is inside them as well as outside them. He is with them far more intimately and closely and incessantly than we can ever be. Every vile thought within their minds and ours, every moment of spite, envy, arrogance, greed, and self-conceit comes right up against his patient and longing love. The grieving the, and grieves his spirit more than it grieves ours. What's it saying? You get frustrated with people. You get impatient. And you think about God's patience. Well, he can do that. He's up in the sky. He doesn't understand. And Lewis is saying, no. He not only came down, he lives inside us. He, out of all people, should be infuriated. But what is he? He is long-suffering. He can't help but to love. That is who he, he is. He is slow to anger. He doesn't try to be slow to anger. He is that. He sees you fumbling in faith. What does he do? His heart goes out to you. Do you see why you pray? 
You pray because He is patient. You see, the idea of patience that we have is whatever happens, we're okay with it. That's rarely the picture of patience in Scripture. Read the Psalms. These are men. These are people of God deeply in pain. And God says, with all of that, with all your questions, with all your doubt, come to me, come to me, come to me. What you find is a God who is patient, who is kind, who can handle your imperfect faith. And through it, as you are faithful, you have moments of extraordinary faith where God uses that to bless others. This is why we need to learn to be patient, to, long, to be able to be long-suffering. Because it's in these moments we experience the patience and kindness of God that our hearts need to grow. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.